Welcome to Nine Bob Note with Paul Isles Rush and Ken Moss. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Nine Bob Note. I am Paul. And I'm Ken. Hello there. Hi. Paul, it's your choice this week. What have you got for us? Well, as you may be aware, Ken, this this weekend I am celebrating my birthday. Good grief. <laughs> In 33 years, I have never... <laughs> I, I thought I'd mention it. Uh, so we have had a bit of a discussion. We thought what we could do when it's around about our birthday times is do the birthday honours. What are the birthday honours? Or the birth gay honours? <laughs> yeah, <we can>. Hashtag. <laughs> Continuing the theme. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> may gay, may gay. <laughs> the birth gay honours are uh, essentially, it's just going to be where we get to pick somebody who we're going to celebrate as as like a, a gay of the year kind of thing. Splendid. <laughs> um, so I guess... Because this is the first time we've done it, we can just we just got free reign, and it's our podcast, so we can do whatever we want. Basically, that's yeah. I think that that's how it should run. Excellent. So, who is our first in the Queen's birthday on, or the Queer's birthday on? Is what a Queen works just as well, really, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Either way, we're fine. I'm I'm a lit a little bit trepidatious mm-hmm. about this uh, because obviously uh, your birthday uh, isn't too far away. Uh, I've got, I feel I'm maybe stealing <laughs> stealing yours. I think I know who this is going to be. Go on. I am going to nominate this year Russell T Davis. <laughs> He would have been my pick for the year. And it's a superb choice. For those of you that don't know, uh, where have you been? Uh, Russell T. Davis is, as I commonly attribute him, a television god. He's been working in television for at least 30 years. I think he started on Why Don't You as a runner or something. (laughs) He's done things like Bob and Rose, The Second Coming, Queer as Folk, Uh, It's a Sin. And he was... Most famously to a lot of people, the first executive producer on Doctor Who when it came back in 2005, and is picking up the mantle again to rescue the show <laughs> in 2023. So having stolen Paul's thunder somewhat there, uh, but, but why do you think, because it, it's not just his television career that appeals to you, I suspect. No, I mean, obviously, from the LGBT perspective, he, he as you said, brought us Queer as Folk, mm. which... We have discussed at great length, uh, and is is one of the um, one of the shows that really started to change attitudes about gay people, about LGBT people in the media mm. um, and on screen. Some of the things that were in, in Queer as Folk are the kind of things that you you do now see in quite a lot of things. Yeah. But at the time, they'd never you, you know you'd never seen anything like it, and and. As we, we've said before, it played a big part in a lot of people feeling safe to come out, feeling uh, like they would be accepted if they did come out, feeling that there was a community that they could belong to. Uh, and he he did pave the way for a lot of LGBT TV stuff, which a lot, a lot of it he's been in charge of mm. ever since. And, but he is uh, he's just he's generally a champion of the gays, in as many different ways as he can be. So like one one thing that he does, which again we've discussed, 
is he makes a big thing about employing gay people mm. for roles, pre- predominantly gay roles. And he, so he always, if he, if he is casting for a show that the uh, character is gay or lesbian, he ha- makes a point of always casting a gay actor or like, you know, lesbian mm. uh, actor in that role. Now we both discussed this and we're both of the opinion that that's not, <laughs> not really something you should be doing, but as a, his choice as a producer on his own productions, if that's what he wants to do, absolutely fine. Mm. Uh, as an industry standard, no, I don't think that. it's uh, Actors are there to perform a role. They either do it well or they don't. Yeah. I don't think you need to be a welder in order to portray a welder. <laughs> so I don't see why you need to be gay in order to portray a gay. No, and as we've said, there's no other job that you would go for. Uh, where they ask you about who you sleep sleep with with. (laughs) before (laughs) deciding whether you get the job. I get why Russell T. Davies has done it, although the way that he put it was that gay people tend tend to be um, denied roles, and we both thought that was rubbish. That is bullshit. It's the gayest profession in the world. (laughs) Exactly. Even drag queens aren't that gay. It's just... (laughs) It is, you know, especially when you spend time uh, in sort of theatre circles. You, 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 there's always been gay actors. <laughs> um, my, during my time in the theatre and uh, and even sort of audio acting, a large proportion have been on the gay side. Mm. I mean, the thing is, nobody cares in the yeah. theatre. It, it's just not, it, because it's always been a thing. Nobody in the acting profession has ever given it. Well, I don't think so. They don't probably wouldn't get much work now if they're homophobic. But that's always been the way. Hmm. To say that they've been denied, uh, I don't think that's true. I mean, look at all the look at all the people that are or have been out within the profession hmm. over the years. People that we might not necessarily have known. They were, it was known within the profession, but that we, the general public, didn't necessarily know. Richard Wilson's the one that leaps to mind. Yeah. He's 86 now, and uh, I think he's done all right for himself. He is, uh, he's another one. He's a, a huge heavyweight in the theatre, hmm. both as a, an actor and a director and a producer. I don't think it's held him back. No, I don't think it has. And also, a bit, there, there are some stories out there and it tends to be when you're talking about sort of really big name Hollywood actors mm. um, and some of the ones that have come out I, I really can't think of the uh, the person who I'm thinking of but there's quite a, you know quite a big name actor who is gay and he has got sort of gone on record and said that he was he was told right from the beginning if you come out mm. so you know people knew that he was gay but if yeah. you come out publicly you're not going to get leading roles yeah and that's probably because, you know, sort of in the 90s and whatever, the leading roles tended to be straight. Yeah. And, you know, and whether people thought, oh, well, no one's going to believe that he could, you know, fall in love with Michelle Five or whatever. Uh, but as you said, if you're an actor, the whole point is that you're convincing the audience of the character that you're Yeah, playing. it is. And once you stop convincing the audience, I mean, the, there's an example just leapt to mind where the the illusion has been shattered and I can't watch it again. It's Jules Holland's Hootenanny. And when I found out that it wasn't live, it shattered the myth and I couldn't watch it again and enjoy it in the same way. 
Yes, uh, I for many years, along with quite a few others, I think, thought that it was live and it was a real sort of celebrity loving. Mm. Once I found out that it was pre-recorded in August, <laughs> uh, the, the, the myth was shattered. The magic had gone. The fact that all these you know real heavyweight celebrities had chosen to give up the New Year's Eve to record in a BBC studio never occurred to me that it might <laughs> not be. Um, as far as the public are concerned, then yes, possibly uh, it might. I don't know, I, but I think the same could be said of a lot of things. If you had, mm. if you cast a woman made up to look like a man in a a very male role, but a woman can do this job, and it was deliberately disguised so that you couldn't tell, and then later found out that was a, a woman playing that male part, whether it's an action part or a love part or whatever, it would shatter the illusion a bit. Mm. Um, it, it's not the. It's all to do with creating an illusion. Yeah. It could be levelled in other ways as well. <laughs> Somebody's personal or private beliefs, um, you know, say Tom Cruise and his Scientology, I, I don't know how far that has damaged him, but it, I think people have sort of looked at him askance since all that came out and thought, hmm, not quite what I thought. And if you feel really strongly about it, that's what you're going to see on screen. He's, he's a Scientologist. Yeah. So it could it could be that. But behind closed doors or casting, it shouldn't make any difference whatsoever. No, it, it shouldn't. And, and I think there obviously are going to be situations where you, you know, you're told... Just don't don't come out because it's going to damage your career. Now, if you the the person who I'm thinking of, who I still can't think who it is, what's he been in? I don't know. <laughs> it, it was an interview, and it is it's someone. Um, oh, I did. It just came to me. Um, I think it might be Luke Evans. Ah, I wouldn't have got that because I don't know who it is. Right. I- so he is um, uh, an actor. He's he's been in loads of Hollywood. He's he's Welsh. But he's been in quite a few Hollywood things. He was in the live-action Beauty and the Beast as Gaston. Um, he's been in, in quite a lot of stuff. It might not be him, but he's one of those who has, I'm, I'm sure he said at some point that he was advised not to come out. Uh, actually, I'm completely wrong. Uh, Luke Evans has gone on record to say he's never hidden his sexuality, nor has he been asked to hide his sexuality. So it's somebody, it's somebody, it's somebody completely different. Yeah. What Luke Evans said was, everyone's always known he's gay, he's mm. never hidden it. But when he started getting sort of big roles and stuff, people, you know, people assume that you're straight and he, yeah, he's yeah. just sort of, well, you know, I've never hidden it. But anyway... But on the, the, <laughs> the pop singer thing, mm. again, there's a lot over the years, a lot of artists have been asked to conceal the fact that they're married so that they, they, they come across as more available to mm. the fans. Um, it's all to do with creating a web of deceit. Yeah. But again, I mean, in those terms, only casting gay actors in a gay drama Primarily, I suspect it's going to appeal to a gay audience. There's, mm. Everything's got to have an audience. It can't just be all things to all people. So, yeah. you know, a, a straight drama is probably going to appeal more to straight people primarily than gay people, I would think. You, 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 mm. you gravitate more towards stuff that you identify with or it's got um, characters in that you that appeal to you. Yeah. I mean, I know that you've watched you've watched a lot of gay things and <laughs> that have passed me by. I've just I've either not say, um, not sought them out or I've missed them completely. And you because you know about it, you've gone looking for things, presumably. Yeah, definitely. And when when there's uh, when new series come out, if you find out that there's a, 
a gay character in it, then it does make you think, oh, well, you know, I'm more inclined mm. to go and watch it. And I suppose similarly, because we kind of know who the the gay uh, actors are mm. and they're the ones who we're interested in and they're the ones who we read about in magazines and stuff like that. So we're interested in their lives. So when Russell T Davis said, I'm casting It's a Sin and all of the gay characters are going to be played by gay men, we knew a lot of those yeah. gay men. And it doesn't matter who the actor is, but it helps because you're going to get involved in the publicity and, you know, and things like that. And so when, the, you know, when they're doing interviews, so when um, Ollie Alexander's doing interviews about It's a Sin mm. and he talks about his character, he also talks about his own life. And that's a life that we can, in some ways, identify with. <laughs> Although, obviously, yeah. <laughs> we're not all we're not all Ollie Alexander, but yeah, that's one of the one of the things that Russell T Davis is famous for. As you also said, he has, has he's done a lot of gay dramas. He did those um, banana and cucumber. I never saw those. Were they a bit near the knuckle? I think because they were the first, they they were supposed to be almost like a follow up to Queer as Folk, mm. and one of them. I can't remember which way around it was. Cucumber, I think, was the... They, it was supposed to be like the people who'd been in Queer as Folk or that generation of kids, yeah. sort of what they were like, I don't know, 10, 15 years later. So they were in their 40s or, you know, some mm. late 30s. And some of them were still behaving as outrageously as if they had been characters in Queer as Folk. And I guess it maybe fell a bit flat because... Obviously, the people who had been Queer as Folk age when Queer as Folk came out and then were expecting, oh, well, this is going to be another programme about us, mm. but as we are now. And then we're like, well, well, actually, we don't really go out and behave like that anymore. Yeah. Um, and it had the other one, which I think was Banana, was focused on the sort of the, the younger generation of characters who were in that group. Uh, so it was a bit more youthy. It was fun. It was well made. And it did go a little bit, you know, sometimes Russell T. Davis can sort of veer towards the... Uh, explicit. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, it was. There were a few explicit bits, but also some of the stories were uh, a little bit ridiculous. Ah, right. But then he wasn't making a soap opera or a documentary. It was a drama. Mm. So I say, you know, a six-part drama where people just sort of go out to a club and meet someone and then have a one night stand and then don't see them again and then do that every week for six weeks. Nobody wants to watch that. Uh, so, you know, they, they had to start putting in some perhaps silly or slightly unrealistic stories, but who wants to watch realistic stuff? Oh no, you don't. You watch TV for escaping. Mm, I think yes. uh, the only, the time that you start breaking the wall is when somebody behaves in a manner that's so off kilter mm. that you think I just can't identify. I can't ever see this as a, a situation where there'd be no repercussions or <laughs> they just do something completely awful. And then everyone would be like, Oh God, <laughs> I, I'm really sorry for what I did. Oh, well that's all forgotten. Then. Let's see. And in those scenarios where things are, they happen and then the, unrealistically forgotten. Mm. Not something you do, but there's a, been a storyline in The Archers recently where there's a, a half-brother and sister, and she's an alcoholic, 
and he was due to go off to university and uh, in the latter stage last stages of her alcoholism just turn around in an argument and say, you know, we've never wanted you cuckoo in the nest. You're the, you're not even part of this family. Been with them since birth. And he went off to uni and there were floods of tears and all this and the other. And he's come back for Christmas. And there was hints that, you know, there'd be this reconciliation, you know, I'm really sorry, bro. And as he's leaving, he turned around and said, who said anything about forgiving you? Mm. I've, I've put on an act for the family. But yeah you've literally said something unforgivable and you wouldn't. It's, it's just, if somebody turned around after living together for 20 years or whatever, you as siblings and they turn around and said, well, you're, you're adopted. <laughs> you're not my brother. That's going to rip through you like a mm. knife. And it's not realistic that uh, a coffin is spit and all forgiven now. It's not. Yeah. So a bit of a tangent there, but, uh, <laughs> but no, those are the scenarios where the illusion shatters. Mm. We've got a little way off Russell T. Davis. In fact, I think we talk more about Queer as Folk in this episode <laughs> than our Queer as Folk episode. <laughs> yeah. The one thing I've got to ask you while we're, while we, do, we are dancing around this one, did Queer as Folk have any influence in you coming out or did it stir anything in you that hadn't been there before to, to nudge you along the road? I think... Probably a little bit. It probably gave me a little bit more confidence. Not that I was on my own in going through it, but when I was at university, the uh, the only sort of real exposure that we had to gay people was the uh, the LGB society, and they were a a, a collection of very oh god. Yeah, <laughs> I can picture that because I know the types of gays mm. that I went to uni with and they weren't just gay. They were gay. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of militant gay. Yes. Yeah. And, and really sort of excessively flamboyant and, you know, the kind of people who when straight people say, oh yeah, I don't mind gay people. I just wish they wouldn't shove it down our throats. That's who they're thinking of. And, you know, fair enough. You do what do what you do. That's absolutely fine. And we at the time there wasn't much visibility, but that's you know that was kind of me thinking, is that what I'm meant to be like? Mm. And then obviously watching Queer as Folk, it, gave, it reinforced that. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, okay, so these people are really weird, but in a different way. Uh, so it probably it, yeah, it probably did sort of give me a bit of hope that everything wasn't going to be too bad. Because although I mean, watching it back. It is a, a masterpiece of TV. Uh, mm. And Russell T. Davis, what he did by opening the floodgates with that, it pushed television along in a way that he badly needed at that time. Mm. Uh, me, you and I were precisely the right age to get swept along by it all because it, it wasn't just that. It was um, television and culture at that time was moving forward uh, in just a more youthful way. There was a vibrancy about things mm. uh, in the early 2000s. And that painted you know, even though it didn't convert me to the cause, as I've said before, <laughs> but it did paint a very vibrant picture of what the gay scene was like, particularly in Manchester. I can't yeah. really speak for anywhere else. And it was intriguing. I, it did make me want to find out more about something I'd never really thought about before and um, and go and have a look and go and see all the queers. <laughs> but, um, yes, it's been ages. But it got people to ask questions and anything that gets people to ask questions about what they don't know got to be a good thing yeah and he did a similar thing with it's a sin last year Mm. um because that i mean that was a a drama it was about about gay people but it was primarily about aids yes uh, and the aids crisis and one thing that really struck me is because all all of the characters in it or most of the characters in it were young 
uh, you know, sort of 20 something boys. And when I've been speaking to people about it at work, the people who watched it were about that age. So they didn't live or didn't really know anything about how bad the AIDS crisis Mm. was. So to see people who were like them, but in the 80s, going through it and realising that, oh, oh, because obviously from their point of view, it's just something that old men talk about, you know. <laughs> it is, I suppose, it's like the gay equivalent of, of our grandparents talking about the war or mm, something. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, so it kind of brought it home and made it a bit more accessible to the next generation for something that is so important that isn't forgotten. I'm not comparing it to the Second World War. <laughs> so please, don't write in. <laughs> but it is still a big thing, particularly in South Africa, which, mm. um, and because it's not been that talked about, because uh, I've not really heard about AIDS in any sort of major way since the early 90s. It fell off the grid a bit. Mm. It's quite a phrase, <laughs> grid. Um, so in many ways, to the, I suspect the vast majority of the general public, it's sort of been forgotten as a, is not a thing anymore, really. Mm. Uh, even though it, I don't think it's too bad in England or, or the UK, is it? It's still about, but I don't think it's as bad as it was at the height. Or have I got that wrong? No, no, you are right. I'm not sure about the, the number of cases. I think it just sort of goes through spikes. Mm. And it does tend to be, it gets quite dangerous because it does seem to go away and people forget about it and then start being careless mm. again. And then that's when it spikes up again. But because of the healthcare that's available, it's possible, although there's no cure for, for HIV. There are very good palliatives though yes, now, aren't there? Yeah, and, and it's possible to have the, uh, the virus at such a level in your blood that it's undetectable when you go to test, which means that you can't transmit it to other people. Mm. So uh, I was talking to someone at, at work who found out, uh, and he's only in his early 20s, he found out just, I think just before his 20th birthday, that he was HIV positive. And obviously, you just think... That's, that's the end awful. of that. But, but now, because, you know, he looks after himself, because he takes the, the drugs that he needs to take, he is now undetectable so he he can just live an absolutely normal life he's gonna live just as long as me or you assuming he doesn't get hit by a bus Mm. so 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 yeah it's still around but if it's treated it's you know you can live live with it very very easily obviously in places like africa where there isn't the access to healthcare that there is Mm. that's where it it is still a a killer but we wouldn't even be having this conversation if it wasn't for russell t davis no and so I, I salute your choice as there's the MBE and the LBE. What, what's the what's the gay BE? <laughs> the gay BE. <laughs> that, we'll, we'll definitely have to get a, a jingle. <laughs> we also, as you as you did touch on earlier, as he's the uh, the saviour of Doctor Who, he brought it back, or he he was responsible for being in charge of it when it came back made it a huge success, made everyone talking about it again. Yeah, and we're hoping that later this year he'll he'll rework his magic and reignite everyone's interest in it. I have high hopes. Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so this year's Paul's Birthday Honours goes to Russell T. Davis. Yes, Queen! Yes, Queen! Yes, Queen! I mean, I can't imagine a higher accolade. <laughs> to be honest, he'll be crying into his into his chin when he hears this. 
that's it for this year. Obviously, your birthday's coming up, and I stole <laughs> stole your idea. So uh, you'll have to get your thinking cap on. And yeah. find another game. Mm, there are a couple out there. One or two. Yes. But congratulations, Russell. You get to wear the crown <laughs> until until January next year, unless you do something horrific to Doctor Who uh, this year, in which case we might take it off you. That's not going to happen. It's not, not <laughs> unlikely. But thank you. Thank you, everyone. We'll sign off then, and we'll be back next week with a, a touch of normality. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you soon. Bye. Nine Bob Node featured Paul Isles Rush and Ken Moss. Title music was by Mark Scheiman, and the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.